Praise God. Happy Resurrection Day. Welcome to the house of the Lord. And it's good to see so many of you here so early on a Sunday morning. Um, I know right around 9 o'clock, some people are going to wander in a little bit confused, okay? If you see them, just welcome them. Say, uh, it's, it's really good, right? Encourage them uh, this morning. Today, we're celebrating, though. Amen? We're, we're celebrating the fact that Christ is risen. There is a traditional call and response in the church. It goes like this. He is risen, to which the response is, he is risen indeed. Let's try that. He's risen. I think you could do better than that. He is risen. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Well, as a church, you know this, many of you do, that we are in the midst of a series on the book of Acts. And Acts was written by a man by the name of Luke. All right, Luke. Luke was a, a great historian. He was also a physician. He was a, a brilliant man. I wonder if we could get a little more light in the house. I want to see your faces this morning. I want you to stay awake, too. Um, and so in the book of Acts, we've been looking together as a church at the, at the history of the early church. We've been talking about how all of this uh, got started. And what we've seen in the book of Acts is that the apostles, the earlier followers of Jesus, were constantly declaring the fact that Jesus Christ had risen from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus is one of the beliefs that is essential to Christianity, and it is the claim that many have tried to refute through the centuries, right? Uh, Christianity would be completely discredited if you could refute the resurrection, it would all crumble. And so today, we're going to talk for just a moment about the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, if you've ever taken time to think about it and, and really consider it, the reality of the resurrection, it can on face value uh, seem pretty unbelievable. I mean, when was the last time you saw a resurrection? Probably never, right? Some of you maybe have seen somebody uh, resuscitated, but we've never really seen a resurrection. And so how do we know it's real? And, and even if it is, why does that matter to us today? Those are the questions I want to take some time to talk about just this morning. First of all, how in the world can we determine if it's a reality considering the resurrection happened so long ago? Are there really any facts that we can look at together and consider? Well, the reality is that the resurrection is evidenced by facts. It's not a, a blind leap of faith to believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so I want to take you to a passage in the Gospels, in the book of Luke, chapter 24. We're going to read what was recorded by Luke, again, this great doctor and historian. And the question you might ask as we turn to this passage is this, is Luke reliable? I mean, as a historian. Now, if you question me looking into the Bible for facts about Jesus and the resurrection, I want to assure you that the Bible is the best recorded history of these events, and Luke was quite a historian. And that's not just my assessment. In fact, it's the assessment of one of the most widely recognized archaeologists and historians of the modern era, a man by the name of Sir William Mitchell Ramsey. Sir William Mitchell Ramsey. It sounds like you got to say that in English, right? He was Oxford educated, this man. He was, he was a great professor. And he doubted the reliability of the New Testament. At the same time, he was known for his expertise in the historical geography of Asia Minor. And so he went to Asia Minor, and when he went there, many of the cities that were mentioned in Acts had no known location 
and nothing was known about their history or their politics. And so the Acts of the Apostles was the only record that Ramsey had, and again, he was very skeptical of it. He expected to spend some time there and, by his own research, prove the author of Acts to be completely inaccurate. Again, since no man could possibly know the details of Asia Minor more than 100 years after the event. That's when some thought that the book of Acts was written, but later we come to understand it was written probably before A.D. 70. But Sir William set out to put the writer of Acts on trial. He he was putting Luke on trial, and so he devoted his whole life to unearthing these cities in Asia Minor and the documents from those places. Now listen to this. After a lifetime of study, here's what he concluded. He said this. He said, further study showed that the book of Acts could bear the most minute scrutiny as an authority for the facts of the Aegean world, and that it was written with such judgment, skill, art, and perception of truth as to be a model of historical statement. He went on to say this, I set out to look for truth on the borderland where Greece and Asia meet, and I found it there in the book of Acts. He says this, you may press the words of Luke in the degree beyond any other historians, and they stand the keenest scrutiny and the hardest treatment. In fact, because of the truth that he found recorded there in Luke's gospel, and Sir William Mitchell Ramsey, though he started out as an unbeliever, came to trust Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. Because of the accuracy, because of the truth recorded in Luke's gospel, okay? Now, let's consider what Luke has to say. And I want you to consider this this morning with some weight. And let's look at the details of the account, of his account. Luke 24, verse 1, it says this. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And then it says this, and they remembered his words. As we look at the fact of the resurrection, here's what we find. First of all, we find an empty tomb. Again, in verse 2, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body of Jesus. And you may hear that verse and you may read that verse And you may say, so what, Pastor? Big deal. The tomb was empty. That doesn't prove a thing. I mean, they could have taken and they could have moved the body. Well, the fact that the tomb was empty actually is a big deal when we stop and we consider the historical circumstances that surrounded Jesus' death. When we look at the precautions that were taken to make sure the tomb would not be empty. We see in the passage we just read that Jesus had told people before his death that he would rise again. Now, not everyone, including the apostles, understood what Jesus meant, but the Jewish leaders, they said, we're not going to take any chances. And so listen to what it tells us in Matthew 27, verse 62. It tells us this, the next day, that is, after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, sir, 
we remember how that imposter, they're talking about Jesus here, how that imposter said, while he was still alive, he said, after three days I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people that he's risen from the dead, and the last fraud will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, you have a guard of soldiers. Go and make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. So to prevent there from being an empty tomb, the, the tomb was secured. And, and get this, it only had to be secured for three days, right? Like that's all. Just watch over it for three days. That's not that difficult. The Jewish leaders, they weren't going to take any chance that something would happen to Jesus' body. And so they had Pilate's authority to take a guard unit and make the tomb as secure as they knew how. Now, a guard, how many is that? Well, when we think about a guard, sometimes we, we would think a person or two, right? Maybe there were one guard on each side. Well, it doesn't say in a passage how many, but we know uh, from history that a guard is more of a unit than just a couple, okay? Usually in a watch of three hours, there were four guards who would stay awake for those three hours, and they would take turns. And so if they took turns over four watches, we know this, there were likely 16 guards that were posted there at the tomb who were assigned to take turns and stay awake and stand watch. And since there were, uh, they were to make sure that the grave would not be empty, they would have certainly made sure, first of all, the tomb is not empty before they sealed it, right? And then they rolled that stone over it, and they sealed it with a Roman seal. Now, having this tomb secured in such a way makes it impossible that the grave would have been empty. <laughs> but it was empty. And so how can that be explained? Again, there are some that try to argue that the disciples came and they sold the body, and that's why the tomb was empty. In fact, that's the story that the Jewish leaders spread because of the fact that the tomb was empty. Here's how Matthew records the actual event that took place that morning along with what the Jewish leaders said. Matthew 28, verse 2, it says, And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone, and he sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. Now, after these events, it records for us in Luke 11 this, that some of the guard went into the city, and they told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were sleeping. And if this comes to the governor's ears, they're worried. He says, tell them you were sleeping when they came and stole the body. But don't worry, because if this gets to the governor's ears, they knew they could be in trouble if they said they were sleeping, right? If it gets to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. And so they took the money, and they did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Now, you could read that and say, well, why couldn't that have been the way it happened? Why couldn't the disciples have, have come and stolen the body? Well, here's the problem with this story in explaining the empty tomb. Because not only was the tomb secured, but the disciples were afraid. They were, they were scared. We have to remember that just a few days earlier, Jesus' disciples were running scared when Jesus was arrested. Mark tells us when speaking of the disciples, he says, everyone deserted him. They all fled. Why? Because they were so afraid of what was taking place. So to make the argument 
that just a couple of days later, in the midst of their grief, in the midst of their faithlessness, in the midst of their fear, that these same disciples somehow worked up enough courage to go to the tomb to take on a guard of 16 men, but thankfully they found all 16 sleeping, and then they broke the seal on the tomb, which is punishable by death, and they stole the body, and they escaped unnoticed by this Roman guard. To me, that stretches the bounds of belief. You could say, well, maybe the whole story about the guard and the seal are made up by Christians to support the story of the resurrection. If that were the case, we would expect to find the Jews refuting the claim of the resurrection, not with a story of of a Roman guard sleeping, but with the truth that there never was a guard posted at all. They would have said, you know what, we we really should have posted a guard, but we, we didn't take this seriously, and, you know, I'm sorry, it just happened. But that's not what we find. We find stories of grave robbers and guards sleeping. These stories do not support the facts of the situation. See, if the tomb were really empty by some reason other than resurrection, the truth would be the best argument against it. But the fact that precautions were taken to seal the tomb, the fact that the disciples were scared at Jesus' arrest just a few days before, and the fact that Jesus himself said that he would rise from the dead shows that the fact of the empty tomb leads to support some supernatural event that's not easily explained by human wisdom and human understanding. But that's not all. Listen to this. Not only is the resurrection supported by the facts of the empty tomb, but it's supported by the effects on the lives of the disciples. Now, we just talked about how the disciples were running scared, right? They were afraid on the night that Jesus was arrested. Peter even denied knowing Jesus that night. But these disciples go from fearful followers of Jesus, running scared on the night that he was arrested, to fearless leaders proclaiming the death and resurrection of Jesus as eyewitnesses in the face of torture, in the face of persecution. And and you have to ask, what could explain this kind of transformation in the lives of these men? What accounts for that change? Here's what I believe. It's the fact that they saw the resurrected Christ. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment because this is important. You you see, we know today that people will endure torture and death for things they believe. Even non-Christians, people who are willing to die for their beliefs. But the difference between people who believe today and the disciples is this. The disciples knew for sure that what they were saying was either 100% true or it was 100% fake because they made it up, right? It was not just a belief for them. It was something they knew for sure. Listen to what the Apostle John tells us about seeing the Christ. He says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we've looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, and we've seen it, and we testify to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we've seen and what we've heard. Listen to me today. No one is willing to face torture and persecution for what they know to be a lie. These disciples knew what they were saying was true, and they knew the eternal life that Jesus offered was real, 
And so they no longer had a, a fear of physical death because they knew greater, the greater life of eternity for those who trust in Jesus Christ. These apostles lived out in a new way the truth of Psalm 118.6. It says, the Lord is on my side. I, I will not fear. What can man do to me? Amen? These disciples, these men were radically changed. And the only explanation is that they saw what they claimed to see, the resurrected Christ. And the Holy Spirit filled them and made them some bold proclaimers of the risen Savior. The evidence supports the reality of the resurrection. I can tell you this today, there's, there's so much more evidence that I can't even get into this morning on the resurrection. From the empty tomb that was sealed and guarded, to the effects on the lives of the disciples. Again, going from fearful followers to faithful leaders. They were willing to suffer and die for what they knew to be true, which gave them the hope and the assurance of eternal life. The best explanation for all of these things is that Jesus did what he said he would do and that he is who he claimed to be and that he rose from the dead. Amen? E even the fact the Christianity still exists today when it's based on, on such a belief is evidence that the resurrection really happened. Through the last 2,000 years, there has been so much time and effort by so many individuals to, to somehow debunk Christianity. And, and that would have certainly happened if it wasn't true. And so I want to tell you this morning, the resurrection really happened. Jesus Christ is really risen, and he's alive. Amen? He's alive. And you can hear that today, and you can accept that, and, and you can believe that, but you can also say, well, that happened 2,000 years ago, Pastor. What does that really matter for me today? Does it matter for me today? I, I, I certainly believe that it does. You see, without the resurrection, we have no eternal hope. Without the resurrection, we have no lasting hope. The, the resurrection is essential to living life eternally. Listen to how the Apostle Paul says it in 1 Corinthians 15. He says this, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. If there is no resurrection, there is no eternal life. For anyone and that means there's no hope but if the resurrection is real as the evidence shows then there is an eternal life after we die physically and there is hope that we can live eternally in a restored relationship with God Paul says this man if there's no resurrection let us eat and drink because tomorrow we die right in other words, if there's nothing beyond this, just, just live it up because this is all that we got. If this is all that there is, just live it up. But the resurrection proves that Jesus is who he says he is. He's God in the flesh. And there is eternal life that we have after this life. Everyone will live forever somewhere. And that truth, that fact matters for everyone here today. Because each of us only has this life to either believe and receive Jesus as our Savior and experience eternal life or to reject him and spend an eternity separated from him in hell. The Bible tells us it's destined once for a man to die and then we face the judgment. Hear me today. Once we die, we have no more opportunity. 
it is only in this life that we have the opportunity to trust in Jesus so we can experience the resurrection to eternal glory. The resurrection is essential to living life eternally. But not only is the resurrection essential to living life eternally, but the resurrection is essential to living life right now. 1 Peter 1.3 says this, according to his great mercy, you've heard about the mercy of God already this morning, but I want you to understand that it's according to his great mercy that he's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. We are spiritually reborn in that moment that we believe and receive Christ as our Savior. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. I, I, I think to me, this is one of the most amazing promises out there. Amen? It's one of the most amazing promises that we become a new creation with the opportunity for a new life right here and right now. Because the reality is every one of us desires to truly find life, right? And that real and true and full life is found in putting our trust in and receiving Jesus Christ as the one who died, but also the one who rose again. Jesus said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I'm sure there are many here today that would acknowledge, man, this idea of a full life, it can be pretty elusive, right? We want all, all that life has for us. And the problem is we, we look in the places the advertisers tell us to look for, right? We think, man, if I just had those new clothes, if I just had that new car, if I just had that beautiful wife, if I just had that perfect husband, if I just had that big house or could go on that vacation that I've always wanted to go on to in, in physical pleasure or in, in our addictions, giving them free reign over us. But every one of us know that no matter how much we've pursued any one of those things, they always leave us just a little bit short. And then we go after a little bit more, thinking if we just had a little bit more, then life would be good. Then I would have full life. John D. Rockefeller, the, the founder of the Standard Oil Company, the first billionaire of the United States of America, that he used to be one of the, the, the richest man on the face of the earth. And he was asked by a reporter one day, the reporter said, how much money is enough? And John D. Rockefeller calmly replied, just a little bit more. <laughs> Listen, when we're unsatisfied with the things of this life, we think, man, I just need just a little bit more. But even as we get that little bit more, we say, man, it, it's not enough. And when we are unsatisfied with the things of this life, we, we, we think, again, just a little bit more. But, but this is because we're pursuing something that can never really satisfy. Hear me today, as long as you're trying to fill a God-sized hole with a man-sized solution, you will always come up short. But God offers us full and eternal life as we put our hope and our trust in Jesus Christ as we believe in his death and resurrection, as we receive today the forgiveness of sins, as we turn away from doing things our own way, and we begin to walk in obedience to God. Our only hope for salvation in this life, both eternally and presently, is putting our hope in and receiving the resurrected Messiah, Jesus Christ, the one who really did die for our sins, the one who rose from the dead to eternal life. If you're here today and you don't ever remember making a conscious decision to follow Jesus, if you don't ever remember making a conscious decision to say, Lord, I acknowledge that, that you're my Lord and you're my Savior, I want to tell you, you can do that today. You can have the assurance this morning of eternal life and begin to live even right now the full life. 
The Bible tells us this, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, it says you will be saved. You confess with your mouth, but you believe in your heart. Man, Jesus, you really are who you said you are. You really did rise from the dead. You're, You're alive and you're at work. And you invite him to come and take his place in your life. Jesus resurrected. And he wants to give you life eternal and life right now. If you believe he died for you, if you believe he resurrected from the dead, I want to encourage you this morning that you can turn and confess your true belief and begin to live a a full life. As we close the service in just a few moments, I'm going to be up front here along with some of the other pastors and some of our other staff. Man, we would love, we would just love the opportunity to pray for you and pray with you. If you're making a decision to go all in today and you say, you know what, this is it. I'm, I'm tired of standing back. Maybe you've been sitting on the fence waiting for more evidence. I got to tell you, the evidence is in. It's been in for 2,000 years. Jesus is who he said he is. And he invites you this morning into a relationship with him. We would love the opportunity right after the service to talk with you, to pray with you, to pray for you. Let us pray with you, please, and help you chase after Jesus. Would you stand with me? We're going to close today. We're going to close this Resurrection Sunday by worshiping a resurrected king. And if the Lord's moving on your heart, even right now, you just feel stirring. I gotta get up and I gotta pray. You can begin to make your way up this morning. We would again love to pray with you before we close out the service today. But let's worship together this resurrected Jesus. He's left the tomb empty. Amen. He lives and he reigns today. By his stripes we
today and you may say pastor you don't know what I've done in my life I don't I don't deserve what Jesus has done for me even if I believe it I don't deserve it listen to me none of us deserve it it's all about God's mercy and his love and it's extended to you today if you've made a decision you want to make a decision today to go all in and follow this Jesus who is passionate about you who loves you encourage you to come up and at the end of the service today we again would love to pray for you and pray with you let me pray for you as we go out of this place today Amen, that we would walk out of here in victory. Heavenly Father, we just thank you. Lord, we thank you today. Lord Jesus, that we, we celebrate and we serve a 
risen King, a risen Savior. Lord God, we thank you today that you are seated on the throne. And Lord, you're worthy of all the praise and the glory and the honor. Lord, we thank you for this weekend. and what it, we, As we remember, Lord, what you've done for us, Lord God, that you allowed your body to be broken. You allowed your blood to be shed so that our sins could be forgiven, that we could have a right relationship with the Father. And so we thank you that as we go out of this place this morning, we walk out of here in that victory, Lord God, believing, Lord God, that you've given us life abundantly now and life eternally with you. We give you thanks for it. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen, amen. Bless somebody as you go today. Again, we'd love to pray for you. God bless you as you go today.